I only pick the easy passages. <laughs> you know this by now, right? Only the easy ones. Now let's dive in. Biblical scholars pretty much universally agree that there are two creation stories in Genesis. We read the first one last week and talked about it. It was Genesis 1-1 through 2-3. Seven days of creation. The second one is right next to it, Genesis 2, 4 through 25. The writing style, order of events, and overall emphasis are different in the two stories. But each tells us something important theologically, which is how each should be read. So today we're in the second creation story, and it is a rich one. In this story, God forms a man, and the Hebrew word is Adam, from the dust of the earth, and the Hebrew here is Adamah. So, earth creature, Adam from Adamah. We are earth creatures, dust creatures. God here is almost like a sculptor or a potter or something, getting down into the dust and getting his hands dirty to make human beings, the first human being. Then, having shaped the first human being, God breathes life into this inanimate man and the man becomes a living being, alive. So all of us, in a sense, have the breath of God in us, you might say. That is our spirit, our life. God places the man in a garden that God himself plants. So God is a gardener, which is good to know for all of you who are gardeners, right? God plants a garden in or of Eden. Eden means delight. And God places the man in the garden. The man is put to work taking care of the garden. He faces only one limit in this beautiful garden. See, everything, this is good, you can have that, you can have that, but there's this one tree in the middle that you're not allowed to touch. And we'll hear more about that next week. It's the Garden of Eden. It's perfection. The man has every delight for the eye, every good food to nourish him. He has the companionship of God. But still something is missing. God observes, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And as if in an exploratory or almost experimental mode, God starts to work on the animals. The text says, God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man, almost like in an animal procession. What do you want to call this one? How about aardvark? Good one? You got it, okay. And then all the way through zebra. It was, must have been a very busy infinite period of time, however long that took. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air. How about Robin for that one? Good, that sounds good. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. The Hebrew here that is translated, that I'm translating, helper as his partner, has often been mistranslated or misunderstood. The old King James said, help meet. Do you remember that? Help meet. And that was often interpreted to mean lowly assistant. 
The woman as lowly assistant to man. You got the man, then you got the assistant, the woman. I am not preaching that today. I am preaching the opposite. I want you to hear that, okay? The Hebrew here means suitable partner, partner fit for him, a match, an equal, not an assistant. And so God creates woman in a story that has resonated through the centuries in art and law and culture and in religion. Hear it imaginatively. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. It was time for surgery. I just added that. I'm sorry. That's that's there. (laughs) Then he took one of the man's ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, isha in Hebrew, for out of man, ish in Hebrew, out of man she was taken. It it signifies connection. The story concludes, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I believe that the second creation story has one fundamental theme, relationship. Call it intimacy or connection. Or use three words when one is not sufficient. Let's call it intimate relational connection. God has an intimate relational connection with the man. Literally molding him, shaping him, and breathing him into existence. The man has an intimate relational connection with the God who made him. And the text says God who walks in the garden with him. But something is missing. Even in perfection, something is missing. Sometimes Christians pass along the religious cliche that God is all you need. But here in Genesis 2, Adam has God. He has God all to himself, and still he needs something else. It's amazing that the Bible would acknowledge this right from the beginning. After all, the Bible's about God, right? God's the subject of the Bible. But the Bible itself says that people need God and more than God. They need other gifts of God. The man needs an intimate relational connection with another dust creature like himself. Animals are nice. Animals are cool. They're fun to have around. Our cat, I'd put up against any cat anywhere. Our cat is a royal creature who dominates our home. We know this. Many of you are dog people. Dogs are wonderful. I'm all for dogs if they're really small. So dogs are fine. But however much we have cats and dogs and other great creatures, we need one like us. We need intimate, relational, human connection. It is not good for any of us to be alone. You agree? 
Say amen. Oh, come with me now. All right, here we go. All right. The story rushes on to tell us about one particular kind of intimate relational connection, marriage. This involves what most of us would consider the most intimate connection possible between two people. An intimacy that, at its best, is spiritual, emotional, sexual, and familial. We become family. And the family connection is often overlooked, but think about it. When you marry somebody, it's like two people who came from different families become family to each other. Not just friends, not just lovers, but family. And in the Old Testament, this is a lot of times what language of flesh of flesh and bone of bone means. You are now my family. You're kin to me. By the way, that's one reason why there's no substitute quite for marriage as the pinnacle of that relationship between two people. In marriage, we become each other's corresponding piece or equal partner or suitable match. Leaving the families into, from which we came into the world, we now make a new family. And if God blesses with children, uh, we make multiple generations of family. So the second creation story leaps ahead to marriage. It's definitely not about the details of how and what sequence things happen. It's actually about a fundamental reality of the human condition, and that is how much we need people. Our deep drive for intimate relational connection. You know, this image of a rib and a rib surgery and so on is very striking to me because it connects relationship with pain. When we lack that one that we're looking for, it hurts. When we have that one that we're looking for, sometimes it still hurts. We would, however, most of us, gladly give up a rib or even two to find that person who can make us as happy as Adam expects to be in Genesis 2. That person with whom we can be fully naked and unashamed. For the rest of this message, I am going to attempt to bring this sublime passage into realistic pastoral conversation with just about everybody in the room. My hope is that perhaps God may have a word for each group of people that is represented here. When you're a pastor of a church, you are shepherding the whole flock. And that means you have to think of every person. And that's what I'm going to try to do in applying this passage to all of us and maybe to each of us. That's the hope every week, but it's going to be a little more explicit this week. So first, a word to everybody, even the choir. The choir is included here, okay? Even the choir, all of us. I say to all of us as biblical truth, it is not good to be alone. Amen. This is a word for all people and for all Christians. We need one another. This is not to say that times of solitude are bad. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was quite right when he said that those who do not know how to be alone don't know how to be with others. And those who don't know how to be with others don't know how to be alone. You could write that down. It'll, you could even tweet that probably. It might even fit. But even though 
we do need solitude. We also need community. We need people. Sometimes we don't know how much we need people because we've grown used to being lonely. Then maybe we just get a taste of community. We get a meaningful conversation that we hadn't expected. Somebody asks us about our lives and they really seem to care. Somebody is interested in us or, or we ask a question to somebody about their life and they, um, they engage with us and they talk with us at a, at a pretty deep level. We remember in moments like that that what we really want the most in life is to be known and to know. That's really what we're looking for. We need this so much. So my word today to all of us is let us try to open ourselves more and more to connection with other people. Don't settle into a solitary life when you've got people who would like to be in relationship with you. Look for ways to break out of isolation. Make a phone call. Call somebody up. Send a text. Send a Snapchat message. <laughs> send an Instagram. If, send an Instagram? Post an Instagram? Help me with that. Anyway, you do something on Instagram, okay? Schedule a meal with somebody. Have coffee with somebody. Reach out. Did you know that I know that in this church there are lonely people? There should not be any lonely people in this community because we have each other. Reach out. By the way, one way to break out of loneliness is to join a Sunday school class. They won't leave you alone if you join a Sunday school class. <laughs> All right? <laughs> to our married people, I say this. Be grateful. Amen. Be grateful that God has given you the opportunity to experience something of that one flesh relationship described in Genesis 2. If your partner, your spouse, is sitting next to you today, grab that hand right now, brothers and sisters. Be grateful that your need for a partner has been met. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> if you are among those in this church who have been blessed with especially long and happy marriages, I say to you, I hope you are thanking God each and every day. I challenge you to never stop working on the health and intimacy and Christ-likeness of your relationship. You're never done. You can be married 65 years and you still got to get up the next day and do it better than the day before. Am I right? Make that relationship as good as it can be. And if you have children and grandchildren that you are caring for as a married couple, pray that God will continue to give your marriage the strength and sturdiness required to give your children the foundation that they need for life. It is a sacred responsibility to be a parent or maybe a caregiving grandparent or adoptive parent. Children are precious. Love them well. And take care of your relationship so that they can see that modeled. To our lesbian and gay congregants, I affirm what is now the practice of our church, that we respect and support 
the marriage relationships of all of our congregants. It is not good to be alone, and most of us seek a helper or partner suitable for us, just as God made us. And so I am glad to be a part of a church that welcomes all relationships. To our widows and widowers, I say this. We see you and we love you. And we know that losing a spouse is one of the very greatest losses that a human being can endure. Our congregation has many widows and widowers. Isn't it beautiful to watch the way that you all support each other and that we support you? Isn't it great that you are family here, that we are all family? If you still feel that ache in your side that doesn't really go away, that's the most natural thing in the world. But surrounded by Christian friends, you can endure it. And we will do that together. To our divorced friends, I say this. We also see you and love you. Divorce is never anyone's plan when they get married. But many marriages end in divorce, we know. For all kinds of reasons, sometimes hard to explain. Maybe something wasn't right on our side. We weren't ready or we weren't right. Maybe something wasn't right on their side. Maybe something went wrong in our relationship as a couple and we never could heal it. Or maybe some of us were never really suited to get married in the first place. Our congregation is not a judging community. We are glad to be a place of community for divorced people and a place of healing. To our teenagers, so good to see you in the balcony. Come back every week. We will track you down if you don't. To our teenagers and young single adults, I saw that flirting on that beach trip. I saw it. The flirting says that Genesis 2 is still true, that people look for that one person to be their person. And I say this to you, your desire to find that one special person is what Genesis 2 is talking about. Look well. Look carefully. Don't hurry. Look for a person of faith and character and maturity, the whole package. Despite what you might hear from your very well-developed Apple Music playlist, I am so relevant now. This is amazing. It's not mainly about... Have I mentioned Spotify recently? Okay. It's not mainly about finding someone with a pretty face and body. Now, Song of Solomon would agree that that's pretty nice. But still, what matters more is faith and character, the sturdiness of the person. A person you can trust your entire life to. To those who are single and are perfectly happy about it, thank you for what you teach us about relationships. For content lifetime singles, almost always you have developed many constructive patterns of building relationships and finding community. You know that there's plenty of love and life to be found outside romance. So teach us about that. 
But for those singles in our church who are yearning for that partner who they have not yet found, let me say that we see you too and we love you. And if you feel an ache, it makes sense too. And I personally am the ultimate romantic and matchmaker. I wish that every single person who wanted to find a partner would find a partner. And if you want me to pray for you to find that right person, just let me know and I'll pray. But as you wait, know that God is not absent. Look for community where you can find it. And meanwhile, we will all wait and hope. And we see you and we love you. And there's another group. Those who are married but are not happy. There was a song by Three Dog Night. Back in the 30s? No, I think it was the 60s. And that song had this line. Do you remember it? One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. What's the next line? It's the loneliest number since the number one. That's a depressing song. (laughs) What's especially hard about the struggling marriage is that most often the struggles are invisible to other people. When someone's spouse dies, everyone knows what to do. You have a funeral. You, have, you reach out to the, to the spouse, to the widow. You, you can grieve cleanly. But sometimes when people are struggling in their marriage, they don't tell anybody. They feel like they're alone and they cannot tell because it would be embarrassing. To you, I say, God is with you and God loves you. And God wants to give you the strength to endure and to heal your marriage. God is for happy lifetime marriage covenants, not for misery. It's not a death sentence or a prison sentence. God wants your marriage to thrive. We're trying to do more in this church to do marriage enrichment and parenting and other kinds of things so that our families can thrive. So for you, we pray for you. And if you want help and counseling, we have resources. Come see us. So think about everybody we've been talking about and think about the the manifold differences but also the similarity. But this is something I would like to say. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 talk about how things were in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. But Genesis 3 tells about the breaking of that perfection. Genesis 3 says that sin and brokenness have entered the world and have touched everything. We no longer live in the Garden of Eden. Have you noticed? We live in a post-Garden of Eden world. We live in a broken world. God has acted in Jesus Christ to redeem this world, and yet this world is not yet fully redeemed. That's the Christian story. Redemption having begun but not yet completed. Genesis 2 reads as oppressive when we take some image of perfection and superimpose it on everyone's messy life in a spirit of judgment. Look at you, you over there, you're not, you're not uh, doing Genesis 2 the way you're supposed to. Better instead to draw a different lesson, that it is not good to be alone, that human beings consistently seek relationship, including romantic relationship, and consistently mess it up. Because that's Genesis 3. Look at Adam and Eve. They're they're arguing by the end of chapter 3 of Genesis. 
So this is the human condition. We go on seeking and we go on failing and we keep on seeking and we keep on failing and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong and we keep on going. But meanwhile, we have Christian community. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in it together. We don't have to struggle alone. And we are here together in community, not just at home listening to a podcast, because community matters. It is not good to be alone. It is also not good to be a Christian alone. So you may not have that perfect helpmate at this moment in your life that you can romp around naked with. That may not be what you have, okay? Fine. We have each other. We have each other. We have each other. We worship together and we work alongside each other and we eat together and we laugh together and we study together and we argue together and we serve together. We do life together. And on many days, that is more than enough. It is not good to be alone. Aren't we grateful then that God has given us each other? Won't you come closer into this community and into a relationship with the God who created this community and who made us for community? And that is my invitation. Come closer to community. Start talking more honestly with people. Maybe join this church instead of being a visitor. Maybe make a commitment to Christ and say, I want to follow Jesus and join this community that is not perfect but sure seems sweet. We offer an invitation. If you're a visitor with us, we offer an invitation where I stand here and everybody is invited to come forward to pray, to ask Jesus into our hearts or to join the church or whatever else you might ask. So please respond in one way or another as we sing our invitation. Thank you for listening to today's Sermon of the Week. Be sure to follow us online at fbcdecatur.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a blessed week.